Good evening and welcome back to the 11th edition of the It's Not Orange podcast. And tonight we'll be previewing Saturday's local derby against Wigan Athletic and giving our thoughts of what's been a poor week at Bloomfield Road. To join us to preview the Wigan Athletic match, it's Charlie. Um, how are you doing, buddy? You all right? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, no problem at all. Look forward to um, talking the game on Saturday. Kurt, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, a lot of travel this week um, with not a lot of rewards. So um, it's going to be an interesting evening. Yeah, it'd be good to, I think we find relief in talking about what's been a poor week at the seaside, but we'll firstly talk about the Wigan preview. Um, Martin, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm hoping this is going to provide some therapy, like you say, because we need it. Um, Charlie, welcome to the It's Not Orange podcast. Tell us a bit about yourself and how you start supporting Wigan. Well, I was born in Wigan, um, what, 27 years ago, and I was born in Billings, so it's like an area of, of Wigan that I was there. I lived in Wigan until I was about eight, but I still carried on supporting. I'm a big, uh, big fan of support where you're from. And then the whole reason that the Central Wigan blog and podcast kind of came around was just because of COVID, when we couldn't go to the stadiums, and I wanted a way to kind of keep up with the with what was going on. So I started the blog, started the podcast, and yeah, I've just been doing it ever since. Yeah, we found quite a recurring theme with fans starting podcasts during COVID. It was a very difficult time for most football fans, wasn't it? When you had football sort of without fans in the stadiums, it was very eerie watching the matches. Um, but yeah, I mean, you found you found solace in in obviously starting something during COVID. Was it something you done yourself, or was it with other fans as well? Uh, the whole central Wigan is just by myself, but then uh, I've joined up with the Progress Unity podcast with Barry and. And done so I've done a few podcasts there, but it's it's not been dull <laughs> since we all started it around COVID. We've had a lot going on with uh, yeah, administrations and taking other takeovers and bad managers, good managers, all that kind of thing. Yeah, constant content, definitely. Um, yeah, I was going to say, tell us a little bit more about about your podcast and well, and and your blog as well. Like, how have you found it? You know, as the Wigan fans enjoyed your content so far. Yeah, it's been been fun for me to do, and, and like I just said, there's there's so much to talk about with Wigan. We never seem to have a dull season, and I was looking at when we got relegated from the Premier League, and every season we've either yo-yoed or just been, just something hits from left field. So it's been it's been fun. I just I would like a bit of a a boring season this one, just to kind of resettle ourselves. But it doesn't look like we're really going to get that. Oh well, just touching upon that. Um... The points deduction, obviously, um, sort of pre-takeover and the fallout from from the previous regime meant that your season was never going to be dull. Um, and a lot of sort of fans or, or sort of um, websites, etc., potentially writing off Wigan a bit too early. I know that it's not top 20 rated you potentially to push f- towards the playoffs, um, but you've started the season excellently well despite, despite that points deduction. Yeah, and the points deduction was that I always feel it's unfair when when clubs get point deductions, but you know it's kind of what what really the EFL left to do. But this was totally on our previous owners, Phoenix. It's nothing that any of the players or supporters had, had ever done or could ever change. It was just completely incompetent owners and just constant lies. And I know obviously Blackpool have been through a lot with the with the Oysters, so you can probably relate to a bit of what was going on. But Phoenix were the most incompetent group well actually since the IEC which were the obviously the ones that put us into administration so we, we kind of got hit twice by really bad owners in, in a very short space of time but I'm glad that Mike Danson's taken over but unfortunately we had to start on the minus eight but it, between Mike Danson and Sean Malone they've done 
so well to be able to have us start the season as, as we have. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about your start to the season and maybe you can just give us a bit of insight because um, you've only lost one, um, which is the same as Blackpool, but ironically playing much better football. Um, and I want to talk, talk, talk about your manager incorporated in that as well because Maloney's stuck by the side and I can only assume you couldn't ask for anyone else really to, to sort of guide you through those troubled times and start this season and and he, and his sort of pro- proactive attitude towards football considering your minus eight has already got you in the positive yeah we're also impressed by Maloney I was even impressed when he was working under Phoenix when he first came in because the squad he had wasn't great and a lot of the listeners if you can cast your mind back to when Blackpool beat us I think it was an April time it was when uh, Jerry Yates scored that second minute goal and the post-match interview from Sean Maloney, he absolutely rinsed us, said that we were the worst team in the league uh, on on attacking-wise. We were good at some defending, but not all of it. And there was players who didn't want to be here, so they were going to leave. And he really went to town on us and signalled that a big rebuild was going to come. We worried a little bit when we got hit with the transfer embargo because we thought, OK, you can't pay fees for anybody, so how really is he going to do it? We knew the academy was going to take a big part of the of the first team. They're all going to step up, but... The players he's brought in on freeze or on loans have been brilliant. And and the footballer, we could see he was starting to try and implement last season. He's had a full preseason now and been able to put something together. And we've just, we've come out of the blocks so well. And just, he likes to do this constant press. And Callum, yeah, Callum Lang is, is big on that. So Stephen Humphreys to a, to an extent. But we're, we're able to suffocate teams. And obviously the one loss just came against Barnsley, but really controversial red card in that. But, we kind of need a little humbling. I was saying before the game that it doesn't hurt sometimes to get humbled because then you can you can bounce back and you can reset. And I th- I'm hoping that that is our little humbling where we can we can reset and get back to just playing good football again. Yeah, absolutely. And talk to me about like the first few games of the season and 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 how it's felt, how how it's looked on the pitch as well. I know you said you do that constant press. Um, but you came from behind, wasn't it, to score to, um, a late on the winner, Callum McManaman goal, wasn't it? Was it the goal from outside the box? It was an absolutely brilliant finish. And you've shown real resilience um, and you've kind of had to in, in, in the first sort of pre-season, obviously, as, you, as you've already alluded to, and, and obviously going behind on the pitch, a lot of teams could easily sort of fall to the sword and say, we've had a points deduction, we've had this, we've had that. But, you know, Maloney and your side are showing real resilience and probably believe they can really push on this season. Yeah, and I think we've just got a, we've got a team of players who sort of have a point to prove this season that that they are worthy of of playing at this level. You know, Stephen Humphreys has just come back from Hearts on his loan. He did really well though. He's playing European football. I'm really glad that he stayed with us. And he's somebody that when he comes back, we all really expect him to just kick on now because he had the good loan spell, and now is your time to really prove it in a Wigan shirt. And he is doing that. And then obviously we all know the story with Charlie Wyke and everything he went through. And now this is the first full season he can get back to just playing at his best again. And he's he's come out firing, I think, five goals already. Callum McManaman had a bit of a dip towards the, the last stage of his career and he's got a bit of a point to prove that he's still got it and he can still do something with us. He trained with our under-21s last season. He played with them for quite a while. And when rumours started to come around that he could be with the first team, I wasn't fully sold on it, but just to see the way he's come back, he's he's been great. And then... Callum Langis, he'd been given the captain's armband after Jane McLean left right at the end. And well, just at the, I think it was two days before the start of the season, Jane McLean got sold to Wrexham. So Callum Lang given the captain's armband and, and got a step up. So he's managed to do it. But yeah, we've we've done well. And the game against Carlisle, I think, was our biggest sticking point because we had a lot of the possession. We had 
the majority of the shots, but they were very, very good defensively. And it was the first major challenge at trying to break a defence down that we've had. And I was I was impressed the way, the way we bounced back and then went to Bolton, but we, we put Bolton in a bit of a frenzy and they, they were nowhere near the best that we all know they can do. So it's been it's been good and yeah, a lot of players have just been standing up when when they needed to, like you just said, McManaman's final minutes, uh, the winner that he did there, that just came out of nowhere that one. Yeah, you play you play like a four two three one. You like to compact the midfield and put the pressure on, especially as you've you've said sort of pre pod that the the front line sort of pushed pushed the defence into um, well a bit of trouble times and and and, and make force mistakes out of them to produce chances. Um, Kurt, I'll bring you in. Um, already quite a worry considering we're going to have nine goals and we have a central defender that, that can't play out and got subbed at half-time last Saturday. I was going to ask what it's like to see a goal first. That was the first question because um, <laughs> we've not seen it for the best part of nearly a month now. Um, I was looking at your squad earlier on and you look like you've got quite um, strength and depth across the board, to be fair, and, and a decent squad. But what, what do you think you need to sort of consolidate this good start if you were to bring someone or a couple of players in tomorrow? Going on deadline day, I was I always say that you can never really have too many centre backs because Jason Kerr, even though he's named in our squad, he's still recovering from an ACL injury and we're not too sure exactly when he's coming back and how strong he is going to be when he's back. We brought in Liam Morrison on loan from Bayern Munich Reserves. He's been great. But then we've got Kel Watts and Charlie Hughes and we've just seen Charlie Hughes get sent off and it's the FA have still uh, stood strong on the, on the red cards. So it's not being overturned. So really it leaves, leaves us with Morrison and Watts. I don't think James Carragher's completely ready yet. So I would like just an extra centre-back because it is a long season, 46 games, plus hopefully we can have a, a mini cup run somewhere along there. So you're going to be pushing 50 games this season. And I always think centre-back's such a key position. But then maybe a little experience in the midfield, get somebody in who's a bit of an older age profile, but can, can really dominate the midfield and, Maybe not going to play all the time because Matt Smith and Barbara Deco seem to have that pinned down so well. But my biggest worry is what if we get an injury to Matt Smith or what if Barbara Deco gets an injury or suspended or something like that? Who's really going to come in and be able to cement that position down? So they're my two major positions that I would that I would say. Yeah, you've utilised the low market really well, haven't you? Um, bringing in sort of youth um, and excitement as well as a bit of experience. Like Matt Smith, as you say, I know he's not the oldest of players, but he's had plenty of EFL action, hasn't he? And he's going to certainly help Wigan. Kurt, the question um, that you forgot I asked was, is it concerning that Wigan play like this constant press when we've got a defensive line, especially Marvin Epcotera, that it, it can't really make a decision of what he wants to do and he's not obviously a ball-playing centre-back? Yeah, the irony is, is that actually the way we're setting up is probably good against a team that will come to Bloomfield Road and want to pass the ball about and attack us. When you're talking about playing your Leighton Orients and your um, Port Vales that are quite happy to sit there and take a point, it's no good, our formation, the way we're playing it. So um, I, I think, you know, Yes, it is a concern. I think Marv should have been dropped ages ago, personally. Um, I think we should stick Casey. I said this the other day. I think we should stick Casey. He's, a much, he's much better on the ball, much calmer. Um, yeah, we'll just see what, what he does on Saturday. I think after the, the way Marv's played over the last few weeks, he, he can't start. We need to get proper ball playing 
centre backs in there, and we bought one in Pennington, and Pennington's been sat on the bench for the last three, four games. So um, Neil's got to have a real long think about how he wants to set up this weekend. That's for sure. Yeah, Martin, I'll come to you. Obviously, Pennington's been sat on the bench. Um, we saw pre-season, um, um, in that first game against Burton, that he looked like a real leader and he had obviously no issues at League One, as he's shown before. Do you think Critch is just stuck with the same defence, just purely on the basis pre-Lincoln, that we weren't conceding goals despite conceding big chances? Yeah, I think it's difficult when you've kept so many clean sheets to then go and drop one of his, the linchpins or, or the, the, the key components at centre-back, but... The reality was, we said last week, we're getting away with it. And then on Saturday, we didn't. And he's got to change it. He's absolutely got to change it. I think I think when you have a defeat like that, it gives you a perfect excuse to change it round. I hope he does. Um, and it's, you know, I, I, I like Marvin a lot, but he's he, he struggled from day one, hasn't he? Burton game, he, he, gave, he gave them a lot of encouragement and we got away with it. And then, as I say, last week, our luck ran out and so did his and, and uh, yeah, he, he must change it, and I, and I really hope he does quickly. Yeah, Charlie was going to come on to where he can exploit us and vice versa a bit later on, but I'll just come to it now. From what you've seen um, with Maloney's tactics, um, what sort of backup plan do you have when things potentially aren't going your way? We used to be one very one-dimensional, um, but the way that Maloney's playing right now, we, we don't really revert to that anymore we, we're, we're very solid at sticking to our what our game plan is so we might we always like to pass out from the back but then we can either utilize the wing space and try and go down the sides or we can pass it to Kel Watts who's really good at sending the long ball over to Stephen Humphreys and just dinking it route one over the top or you can give it into Matt Smith in the midfield he'll turn and just drive it forward and that's the one thing he's really started to show Babaradiko how to do and give him the space of how to do it it's just picking that ball up and turning and, and sprinting upfield. So if the sprint upfield is not working, you'll probably see us revert to just the, the wing back play and just trying to bomb down the sides. And if that doesn't work, it'll be a long ball over the top, usually uh, from Cal Watts sending it to Stephen Humphreys. So there's a, there's a few options there, but they're the main ones. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, have you stuck to the game plan in mo- most of the, the season? Because against Bolton, um, despite the scoreline, if you looked at the stats, you could say it was for sort of grab-and-go goals, but obviously you set up in a way to hurt them and that consistently worked despite despite the um, the stats. And we had it similarly to, to Lincoln on Saturday. We lost 3-0, as you probably know, and we, we, we passed the most we've we've ever done in so far this season, like 721 passes. We had a lot of the ball. We had more shots. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the, the scoreline is, is, is what matters and we lost 3-0 and you won 4-0. Do you... Do you think you were ever worried during that game? I know it was I know it was four nil, but do you think it was a point where you could say, Oh, there's some worries here, we we look a bit vulnerable? Or do you think it was a case of you soaked up the pressure and you, you stuck to your game plan? I think we soaked it up really well. And from the start, we the whole game plan was to just try and test the Bolton defence and they were just making so many mistakes. And then once we realised where the, the weak points of that defence were, we just kept on attacking them. They had a couple of attacks and they were they were little pretty good going forward. Adebayo was was pretty good going forward, but you could really tell they were missing Dion Charles, and I think that was a that was a huge miss for them. But no, I think we dealt with it we dealt with it very well. But against um, against Barnsley when we got the the play sent off, we kind of dropped to a, a four two three. So we took Callum McManam off and and put Liam Morrison on, and we weren't brilliant we tried sticking at least to some kind of aspect of our game plan but you could really tell that we were a man down and, and Barnsley just played the game perfectly from then on 
just kept going out wide and whipping the ball in, especially to where Charlie Hughes would have been. And that's exactly where the first goal came from, ball in from the right-hand side, where Hughes would have been. We hadn't brought Morrison on at this point. I don't know why. And Sean Clare, our, our right-back, was trying to hold off Devante Cole and he beat us to it. But they they took the chances and we were we were scrambling a little bit. But that was, that was the first major knock that we've taken all season. And like I said before, I think you kind of need that sometimes. So I'm glad it's happened earlier on in the season when when uh, it doesn't really count for much. Yeah, well, I was just going to say it was it was obviously 2-0, the game, um, then scoring a late goal for the second to seal the victory. But at the same time, you kept yourself within the game, didn't you? I, I appreciate they had a lot of the ball, etc., which you expect. But I want to talk a little bit about Charlie Hughes, an incredible talent. And for some benign reason, if, if listeners, you haven't seen it, to me, completely wins the ball upon review. How it's not seen, I don't know in in real time. You could you could absolutely tell why he was sent off. Don't get me wrong, but the fact they reviewed it and not rescind it. A- any reason as to why you potentially think that? Because he clearly gets a foot on the ball and the ball travels in the same way he was tackled, and he and he does win the ball. So I'm a bit baffled as to why it wasn't rescind. Yeah, I believe it's gone to an independent panel, um, and they've, they've come back and said no, it, it still counts as as the red. The only thing I can potentially see, because at the time when it happened, I thought that's a risky challenge, but I think he got the ball. And then the red card came out and I thought, I don't think it's a clear and obvious that under the new rules, you have to at least make a genuine attempt for the ball and it would have been a yellow card. And that's exactly what he did. So I thought at the time it should have been a yellow, should it not? But then when you see the slow motions and you see kind of how he went down and then maybe hooked his leg back just to bring Cole down, I'm wondering if it's the the kind of the follow-through and the hook that is the reason why the red card's been been kept. But the referee must have been very confident of it because Callum Lang was in his way, plus then Devante Cole, and then you could see Charlie Hughes. So I don't think the referee really had the best view of it and the linesman wasn't in any rush to to give a free kick anyway. So I don't know if the linesman thought it was a, a good foul, a good challenge. I'm not sure. But yeah, the only thing I can really think of for the red card is is that little hook at the end, which you can only really see on the slow motion. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if, if they're going to stick with the referee, aren't they, as much as they can do, and if they've seen any indication that they, he brought him down purposely, then they're probably going to say it's not enough to turn it around. But I think sometimes they need to hold their hands up and just say, yeah, it's probably worth a yellow covering man, etc., and it's a follow-through of a tackle. But it benefits us in some ways, but I think you've got the players in position now to, to sort of step in and do a job for Maloney because I think... We'll come on to your key players now. You've mentioned quite a lot of your players, but we'll come on to your key players, the likes of Pierce, Hughes, White, this season so far, who have been excellent. From what I get a feeling from from Maloney, that what I kind of expected from Blackpool's, um, sorry, Neil Critchie's Blackpool, is the talk um, pre-season with, with the likes of our midfielders and from our previous regime is this year, they will know their job, they will know their formation, they will know their role, um, they know what to do and how to have an instant impact on the pitch and that uh, unfortunately that hasn't come to fruition as of yet for Blackpool but I, I feel with Sean Maloney's side that he's absolutely got that nailed on somewhat from last season because I know he hammered you after the loss at Bloomfield Road, but we weren't much better and he kind of probably started making plans or obviously did start making plans there and then. And he's absolutely started the season with a flyer and each player you've got knows their role really well. So in short, talk to um talk talk to the listeners of the It's Not Orange podcast. Tell us where who who's the best players for you or who's the most key players and and sort of how you how you set up in, in the roles and how you don't lose that shape. Yeah, you know, Maloney's been piecing this together since he came in and I was luckily enough 
I managed to meet him actually last year at the stadium in the in one of the conference rooms, and I, I had a big chat with him. And he was talking about academy players that were coming in, and he said they already know the roles, they know what they're going to be doing. If they can't do it, they need to come and tell me, and we'll try and get somebody else in. So the standard's always been set, um, especially with Sam Tickle. Didn't get any first team football last season apart from the final game, but even in the months leading up to that, he was saying that Sam Tickle will be the number one next season. And then he's been given the number one shirt and I think he's been outstanding. He made a lot of double saves, triple saves, and even in the Barnsley game just to keep the scoreline down. So he's been very good. But with Tom Pierce, he um, was kind of being kept out of the side by James McLean. We've had him for quite a while. We got him from Leeds. We always knew he had talent. His, his crossing ability is great, but he never really got the chance. And Sean Maloney said, this is your chance now. This is what you're going to do. And just to drill into the players, that kind of mindset of this is what you need to do. And if you're not doing it, then you're going to be subbed off or we're going to get somebody else in who can do it. I think that's really driven on a lot of the players to be much better and, and to try and take the standards up. But even in the post-match and pre-match interviews, Sean Maloney's always talking about how he wants, the oppos- he wants our players to look at the opposition and see where their standard is. And then we need to match it, but then better it. So he's very good at, identifying each particular game and telling each player, look at, look at who you're going to go up against. Whatever they're doing, you need to match that and then be better than them to counter it. So the standard is very high. Uh, if it can be lasted for four to six games, I don't know because it's a very intense way of playing. And I don't know if we're just going to get exhaustion or have a big blip and how, we, how we're going to combat that later on. But at the minute, it's, it's working and it, it's looking pretty good for us. Yeah, I think that's really well summarised. Thank you. But... So the question sort of linked to that um, was was what you've just alluded to. So looking at your side um, throughout, I, like I said, I really like it before um, with the likes of Tickle, Hughes, um, Smith, Adiko in the middle. But then you mix it up with the likes of McManaman, Lang, Humphreys and Wyke. It's a perfect, a sort of a perfect potion of experience and youth and excitement. But my question is, is do you think they're always going to react to going down 1-0, potentially going down 2-0 or, or in times of adversity potentially struggling with that lack of experience say for example if, if a white gets sent off or injured long term how you're going to cope sort of with that um do you think Maloney will let them or do you think he's drilling experience into the youth players immediately I think because our youth players have been with us for so long now but he's also been Maloney's been going to most of the academy training sessions as well outside of the first team he's always seems to be at the academy and watching the young games and Gregory Ock who was our academy manager He's now moved up to sporting director, so everybody knows each other very well, and we're on a data-driven model of recruitment and and piecing the squad together. So the, all the players say Wyke goes off injured, Chris Z is very likely to come on and play. He's a he's an academy player who's who's up and coming. He's he's doing quite well for us. But then similarly, if Tom Pierce can get injured, we have Luke Brennan who can come through. We had Luke Robinson, but he's gone on loan to Scotland. He's gone to St Johnston. So there is a very good player profile that he's been putting together of saying, okay, if we get an injury in this position, this player is going to be ready to take on. And even in the academy setup, they've been playing a few players out of position, especially last season. And we've seen Yusuf Chentuf, who's usually a, a, a centre-attacking midfielder or can, can be a right winger sometimes. He was playing right back in one of the finals last season. And then he's been playing right wing back a little bit, but then midway through the game, he can go up front. So Maloney and Gregory have been very good at trying different plays in different positions and just getting them used to the, okay, one game you might need to play here. Just like Tom Pierce sometimes was playing left centre-back a bit last season, 
just to get them in the rhythm of if we need you there, you're going to, you're going to play there. So I think that say we do get a big injury to Charlie Wyke or to McManaman or Humphreys, there, there will be a player to come in, whether it be Johnny Smith from Burton Albion, who we yet to see in, in a senior game, he's coming back from injury. Or Liam Shaw, who's come in on loan. If, if Matt Smith gets injured, he's going to come in. So there does seem to be a little bit of depth there, but we haven't majorly seen it yet. Uh, we've had a couple of times where it's been an unchanged lineup, so we're still yet to see a lot of, of, lot of what can happen. But hopefully we're not forced into those dramatic changes uh, too soon in the season, but I do expect them to come as the seasons and the, and the months progress. Yeah, and just, just linking into sort of a change of system or maybe a plan B, which you've alluded to, Blackpool set up in a 3-5-2, 5-3-2 sort of system, which, if I'll be honest, hasn't penetrated many sides this season, despite creating a few chances according to stats. Talk to us about where we can potentially hurt you if you've seen any vulnerability so far. We can sometimes get caught out just messing around on the ball. Matt Smith's been caught out a couple of times and it can happen. And I do think that the centre midfield role is one of the most demanding on the field of, of any position. And... Unfortunately, a couple of times this season we, we have been caught out. So if Blackpool can bring a bit of a relentless press in the centre of the park, I'm just a little worried about how we're going to deal with that. And Morrison and Watts as a pairing, we haven't majorly seen it other than other than the Barnsley game. And obviously we got beat there and we didn't look all too confident in the back. So it's a, it's a relatively new pairing. And I don't know who's going to be playing up front for you or more in an attacking midfield role, but if they can try and really attack that centre space and, and push on into our defence, then I think that's really where you're going to find a lot of your success. Yeah, Martin, I'll come to you. The last or sort of all the home games so far this season, um, specifically Leighton, Orrington, Burton, we've had that press in the first 10, 15 minutes, haven't we? Where we've created one or two chances, the lavery chance against Leighton or the cross, the cross um, at Hill near where the keeper grabbed it at the, at the second attempt against Leighton or in times where we should score goals. So that will bode some hope to us, won't it? Yeah, I, I'd like to think so. Um, the thing, Charlie, what's happened with us is that we've had a, a 10, 15 minute spelling games where we've, we've pressed and we've been high energy. And then when we haven't scored it or, Against Burton, we scored twice very quickly, and then it just very quickly stopped, which is all right when you're two nil in some ways because you can um, you can see it out. But if you're nil nil, obviously that's no good. And, and against Leighton Orient, against Port Vale, we had our moments, but it just died out very quickly, and then it just resorted to an extremely boring defensive game of football. Um, what I was going to say to you quickly though about the signings you made is that um, you, you mentioned Johnny Smith. When I saw that he'd signed for you, I, I was I, I, it smacked of a signing of, of, of maybe a club that didn't think it was going to do too well this season because I saw him play for AFC Fylde a couple of years ago at that level and he was he was pretty good in the in the sort of national league. But you know, it, it, do you think you're getting more out of these players than you expected? I think we are, yeah, and especially with Johnny Smith, I think he is going to come in as a backup. I can't really see even when he's at full fitness that he's really going to take the spot from Stephen Humphreys, who isn't an out-and-out winger. He's usually very much a centre-forward, but or somebody who can play in the 10 role and push up and be a supportive striker. But he's been he's been doing all right on the wing. But yeah, Johnny Smith, I think we kind of knew that Will Keane was going to be leaving. And we, we used to play with the more of like a solid three rather than out on a wing three. And I think that Johnny Smith is going to come in just to try and plug a gap, just to make sure we had a bit of depth in us. I'm not I'm not overly sure how he plays. I've not really seen much of him. I know he played 45 minutes for our under-21s the other day. In my head, I'm hoping that he's a bit of a 
Daniel Sanani figure, somebody who's got a bit of pace, but also not afraid to shoot from range. But again, I just haven't really seen him. But I think if that's a player mold that I want him to be, I think it would be kind of a Daniel Sanani-ish role. Yeah, he's a tricky little player. There's no doubt about that. He's got some ability. As I say, I'm I'm I don't know whether I saw him playing playing regularly in League One. Hopefully for him he does. But um, when I saw him at AFC Final, he, he looked like a decent a decent player. But that was at a much much lower level. So, but again, I, I think probably because of your situation, you, you know, you you attracted some players who might have looked at you know, you, you had a minus eight to deal with, didn't you? And, and some of those players might not have been on your radar if you'd have been not on minus eight, if that makes sense. You might have been looking slightly higher and those players have probably taken an opportunity that they wouldn't have otherwise got and maybe they're going to seize it and do well for you. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to Saturday, weirdly. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. We'll finish off, um, Charlie, as we always do, the most pointless thing in the world, but give us your score prediction uh, for Saturday and how you think the game potentially will pan out. See, when we struggled against Carlisle and we came away with the draw there, we bounced back very well against Bolton because that was, that was the 4-0 game. And then we've had a bit of a, a bigger knock with the with the 2-0 loss to Barnsley. So we're usually very good at bouncing back because the days of Colo Torre where it just got worse and worse and worse are gone. Sean Baloney came in and he's managed to actually get us playing some good football and the bounce back's been something that we've, we've noticed for a while. So after the loss to Barnsley, I do think we're going to come out with a bit of a point to prove and our goal scoring record has been pretty good this season, but again at the back we, we were known to concede. So I said on the on the Progress of Unity podcast that I reckon it's going to be a three one. I think I think that's what we'll we'll hopefully end up winning by. Oh, you said three one when we're at home. I was like, that's a surprise prediction, but a three one win for Wigan, obviously. Um, could see it happening. You've obviously absolutely destroyed Bolton and and somewhat the season. So we don't know. I'm not going to ask the two to predict it because we've predicted loads this season and. And we were just going to say nil-nil because we're used to that all, all to lose. So um, we're going to go um, on to the last week at Bloomfield Road. But I just want to say, if you're going to stick around, absolutely feel free to listen to our rants and the raves about um, a very depressing week at the seaside. So um, feel free to stick around and ask any questions. Um, but just thank you, first and foremost, for, for coming on and giving us an insight to Wigan so far this season. Yeah, no problem. No, I've enjoyed it. I'm going to stick around. I'm just going to want to hear what's been going on. So I like to a little bit nosy. <laughs> No worries, mate. Any questions, just give us a shout. Will do. Kurt, um, it's been a hard week um, at the seaside, of course. Um, started off with a 3-0 defeat to Lincoln. Um, quickly run through the lineup. Not that it makes too much difference. Um, but Grimshaw, Husband, Marv's Casey made up the back three with Hamilton and then the new addition to Connolly. At wing back, as we saw in the first game, um, some uncreative positioning, but I assume there to blunt um, Lincoln's attack, which didn't work, of course. Um, Morgan, Norburn and Dougal made up the midfield with Beasley and Lavery um, up top. Obviously, Lavery coming off with an injury, Norburn getting sent off. Um, was there any positives about the initial starting lineup, in your opinion? Mm, no, no. Next question. That's the end of my input. No, we, it's rinse and repeat, isn't it? It's exactly the same as what we saw in the other games. There's not really much difference there. I think there has to become a point, and it's really difficult to not get really passionate about this because we saw the exact same patterns of play in the three games before. A lack of creativity, dodginess at the back, and yet there's still the same people are playing in the same positions that are still not working. I, I'm really, really struggling 
to not, you know, completely flip out on this and start creating, you know, critch out banners. Because for me, what we saw on Saturday is about as unacceptable as I've seen from Blackpool with the resources they've got at this level. Um, you know, we had a difficult start the time before and, you know, we all watched it through the computer because it's COVID, um, you know, so we probably didn't get to air our views in the stadium. So it probably gave Critch a bit of a free license. I don't think he's got that now. I don't think it's acceptable to constantly be playing players out of position with a brand of football that hasn't worked in three or four games. You know, we, I haven't seen anything progress in those games or go, ah, I can see what he's trying to do. If anything, it's getting worse and it's getting worse and it's getting worse. So um, Saturday was a real struggle for me because when you see that lineup, it just kind of sucks the life out of you. Um, and th- there's only so many times I can watch Jake Beasley play to, you know, tell you he's not a professional footballer at this level. Um, so, yeah, difficult to not just keep going on and on, to be honest. Yeah, Martin, one thing I, w- I want to say really um and for the listeners, the last few couple of weeks um, has been fairly downbeat, but I just want to put some sort of context behind the emotions and, and what we're feeling at the moment, because, you know, I think it's a an ideal scenario for us just to, just to, to vent it out. But I think Kurt's already alluded to it. The fact that we played the same system with Connolly there to assumably trying to blunt the attack. That shouldn't be what we're about. And we're five or six games in now, and it actually feels like we've played 40 games, doesn't it? It feels, it feels like Kurt said, the life sucked out of us, and Critch actually has not given us an identity which we assumed he would at preseason. I think, I think it's honesty time, and I think, you know, it's very easy to get giddy. I said this last week. I, I myself am a forty-eight-year-old man who gets very excited when Blackpool win, and we won the first two games, and I was like, brilliant, fantastic. We have to be honest about this. Kurt is right. It is actually getting worse performance-wise. I'll just really quickly tell you that um, I didn't go to Lincoln, unfortunately, or fortunately. And Kurt, kudos to you and the other 700-odd that went. When I watched that game um, and sat back afterwards, I felt as deflated as I had done in any of the games in the Championship last season. Because in the Championship, we were playing against some decent opposition at times. And without any disrespect to any of the teams we've played, they have all been bang average and we were more bothered about well, Lincoln, what Lincoln were going to do to us than what we could do to them. They were so limited, and, and Critchie's right when he says they didn't get anywhere near our goal apart from the two goals, but that's not good enough. Did, did we really get anywhere near theirs? I mean, we had a couple of half chances. I mean, Critch said, oh, we should have scored, but we're feeding on scraps again, and it was actually really, really depressing to watch because they weren't great. I don't mind being beaten by a team of worldies or a, or, a, or a class team, but we were beaten by a bang average side. I don't believe even Lincoln fans couldn't believe they won 3-0 and couldn't believe how easy it was in the end. And it's 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 such a shame. Um, and we, 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 we should be doing better. We expect better and we want to be positive about things. But I think I think a lot of us got quite giddy about it. If not a bit arrogant, maybe some of the fans as well. You get excited when you win your first couple of games. You think brilliant, but it didn't. It, it, it hasn't worked, has it? It, it, it needs to change quickly. I think you're right. I think Blackpool fans on social media, obviously, it's a very volatile um, place at the moment. And and I think, in my opinion, it's through lack of investment and ambition that we're in this position. But I was going to talk about the midfield, but 
Um, and then the positives, if there was any. But I'll quickly run through the stats you already alluded to because Critchley again said they didn't get anywhere near our goal, but they scored three goals. So the main scoreline, obviously, Lincoln free Blackpool nil, 65% possession for the Seasiders. You had expected goals without without scoring of just over one. We had 14 shots. We had a big chance, which was Jordan Rhodes, and then the, the rebound from CJ, which was a miss. Um, we passed the ball 721 times with 613 successful passes, albeit side to side, etc. Um, we did keep a lot of the ball versus their under 300 passes. Um, we had a couple of corners, but ultimately we are having a lot of the ball and not creating enough um, chances. But it, we, I think we lost the game because... I think we already alluded to this, but we we're setting up every single week, Kurt, just to say you're not going to score. Now, previous managers, um, Ian Holloway, all the way back to Steve McMahon, even Simon Grayson in his first time here. Um, we won't talk about obviously the the, the protest years because none of us watched it. But we're Blackpool, and we should be saying we're going to play however the hell we want to play. We're going to score goals, and if yeah, we might concede a couple. But we need to find that creative flair, and even Crit showed in the championship. You know, we, when he played four 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 two, and he pressed in stages, and we beat the likes of Fulham. You know, we went to Bournemouth, and we had that second half that was brilliant. You know, went to Sheffield United. Yeah, we got absolutely battered, but we we, we weren't scared to hit him on the counter attack. We won one nil. Um, you know, we had the game at Preston at home where we absolutely dominated. I could talk about loads of games under Critch in the previous tenure, but this time when we fought that Critch 2.0 existed after he was annoyed at winning 2-0 against Burton. You know, he was annoyed a little bit after Derby, after making six or seven changes and winning. And then we had the two home games where he's happy with the performance. We had the Lincoln game where he's now happy with the performance. And he had the Wolves game where he can't fault the players. And I'm absolutely getting rattled by the fact that he's going back to just saying, yeah, he's quite unhappy. Because he's either doing this because he wants to show Sadler that we haven't got a strong eleven or strong squad, um, because I don't know how you change it too much. I think you can change formation personally, but we haven't got a lot to bring on to make it better. So I don't know how he's happy, because if he's continuing to be happy and he bring in two or three in the next day tomorrow with the transfer window, then that's the squad we're going to have until Christmas. There's a lot of football to be played. And as you say before, we've spoke about this podcast before where we're a little bit giddy, a little bit happy that he's come back in and he will be given time. But he, he absolutely won't be given time if he gets, if he keeps putting in subpar performances like we are. Yeah, um, a couple of points that you made there. Um, one, you can't get annoyed by what he said if you don't listen to what he said. Um, I had no interest in listening to him after Lincoln, to be honest. I find it, found, found Lincoln really difficult to swallow because... Um, you know, the, the zero intent to go and score against teams, you know, you can have the ball for 65% of the time. And I've watched Swansea do this. And the reason why Swansea is still in the championship, because they're obsessed with having the ball, yet they've got no attacking play, no attacking patterns. You know, you look at Swansea play and it looks all fantastic. Then passing it around the back, you know, back three or back five, but they don't do anything with it. And then, you know, wonder why they lose 1-0 at home. So, you know, that's currently where we're at, is we're trying to do this sort of um, a passing, 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 and then nothing happens. And all we're seeing, and all we saw on Saturday, and all we've seen for the last few games, is we pass, 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 ball goes back to Marv, ball goes back to husband, bang, smashes it to the, to, well, pretty much smashes it to CJ Hamilton, overhits it, underhits it, it goes to CJ, miscontrols it, here you go, here's the ball back. 
Um, there's no real attacking play. You know, I'm, I, I watched it on Saturday. Went, what are you trying to achieve? And all I saw was them just give the ball to CJ, hope for the best. Give the ball to CJ, hope for the best. And frankly, if CJ is what we're hoping for, then we're going to be in a sticky position by the end of the season based on these last few games. I, You know, you mentioned about the boycott years there and that, you know, we didn't not talk about them. I didn't boycott my club for four or five years to go and watch us play, you know, a, a dross nil-nil or, you know, trying to keep it tight and compact. That's never, ever been the Blackpool way. It's not what our fans travel for. It's not the way we are. You know, we're a quirky set of fans. You know, we come from a low um, income place and it means a hell of a lot to people. We're not going away from home to watch that. Fans will drop off very quickly watching that brand of football. And if, you know, if Simon was watching that, it's good job I'm not a chairman because I'd have been on the phone straight away saying, sorry, it's not working. Because if you've, if you're still watching that after three, four games, how are you not changing it? Why, you know, even when we went down to 10 men, it was finally, it was like, ah, three nil down, you know, down to 10 men. Let's go four, four, you know, let's put a couple of attackers up the pitch. Too late now. We've already lost. What are you doing? You know, so I, I hope that he's had a bit of a wake up call this week. You know, Wolves, Wolves, we looked extremely embarrassing, extremely nervous every time we had the ball. We didn't have a clue what to do with it when we had it. Wolves were a fantastic team, never expected to be, um, expected to just give it a go and see what happens. But we looked pretty embarrassing and 5-0, to be honest, was flattering. Yeah, Mark, do you, do you, do you agree with those sentiments? I think... I just said at the start, we have no identity and this is what hurts the most. Kurt's already said, like if we can see what we're trying to achieve with the way that Critchley spoke first time around where he knows what he wants, he knows what he needs to achieve. And I appreciate the first time around it took him six or seven games to, to get that. But there isn't any situation where we're creating sort of three or four one-on-ones in a game or we're getting the ball into the box and it's a mix-up and we get a little bit unlucky. We're just just senselessly punting the ball up to Jake Beasley, who runs the lines fairly well. He wins the odd header, but I'm not, this isn't a criticism on Jake Beasley, by the way, he's doing the best he can. He did the best he can on Tuesday, but he has got absolutely nothing with him or nothing behind him. And nor has Lavery on Norwood Jordan roads um, that can create this fearless side. That's going to go and attack, attack a team and create chances. I take, take the opposite. We, um, take sorry the opposite border the spectrum with the likes of Wigan and Peterborough as an example. Peterborough, if you watch them, that they they have a lot of the ball, but they will absolutely kill you within about three or four passes because they have the quality and the directness from their their manager to tell their players what they're going to do. And the, the player said pre season, we now know what we want to do. Well, if this is Critchley's way of playing. He hasn't got 10 games, in my opinion, because we are absolutely going to be in the mire if he if he sets up in this ridiculous system where we haven't got the quality at wing back to execute. Probably wing back, in my opinion, is probably one of the hardest positions playing a pitch in a, in a 5-3-2 or a 3-5-2. It absolutely is. You've got to be a defender. You've got to be one of the, the, the best attacking players on the pitch. And you've got to create chances in the final third. And we're putting a player there which has got the ability to catch a team on the counter with his lightning pace and potentially get the ball into an area where it will be, you know, dangerous. I'm sorry, but if CJ plays, we change the system. And if CJ doesn't play, we play a more capable wing back. And uh, Kurt, Kurt said, and, and I said late in Orit, not only after three games, but I, I've watched every game live, I watched every game back once or twice. 
And the only game I've been to this season, um, in all fairness, is late in Orient. But he watched Marv's punt the ball forward 20 times and didn't change it once. So what is Critchley doing to this team? Because we're now a team with zero confidence. We're now a team with zero identity. And we're now a team of, if we bring one or two more players in where we haven't got the strength of depth to push for the playoffs or even mid-table, if I'm, if I'm being absolutely honest. It's just a, like you say, it's a complete mismatch or, or a, a mismatch, whatever you want to call it. It's a mess. Um, like you say, we, we've said about four pods in a row that it, it's, wing back is so hard to play. And, you, and, and what you're asking is, a, is an attacker to, to learn to defend a bit and also attack. And someone like Connolly who comes in, he's, it's not his natural position. And you're asking him to attack whilst all, it, it, it's all over the place. I agree with you. Um, and it really pains me to say it. Um, I don't understand it. it, it we need to go back to a formation that the players are comfortable with. I know, I'm sure they've worked on it in pre-season, but you're not going to tell me that they couldn't also fit into a different system if he wanted to change it from the get-go on Saturday, because I'm sure they could. And I pray that he's been working on it in the last few days, that, you know, he's, he changed it on Saturday at Lincoln. He needs to he needs to go go from the off on, on Saturday against Wigan, playing a more recognised formation, whether it's a 4-3-3 or a 4-4-2. We don't need to play three five two. I read a few comments where it, people are saying he's basically overcomplicating this. It, it, it's like it's like he, he he just trying to be a bit of a smart aleck manager and kind of said, I, "I think we can play this way in League One." I don't think we can because, like you say, four or five passes for a team like Peterborough, and then they're, they're through you or they're on you or they or they spread it out wide and they've got some width and some pace. We have absolutely no pace unless it's CJ Hamilton, which is no good if he's on the edge of his own box, as we've said from day one, he needs to change it. And I'm really hoping he's, he's got 24 hours to get the personnel in to change it. Otherwise, I fear we may be stuck with this formation, but but we might not be stuck with him too long if we have another seven or eight games of this nonsense. And I love Critch, and, and the, but this is dreadful. It's dreadful. Yeah, yeah I just, I do, I do like Critch. Um, I liked him the first time around. And I was fairly happy the second time around. And I absolutely alluded to on the first ever pod we did. And Kurt said it as well. And I said, maybe I've been swayed. But we spoke about Dobby and we spoke about his fearlessness and we spoke about just going out there. And Sean Maloney is in the same ilk where he's drilling what he wants out of his team and what he thinks is best for the club. Whereas Dobby, in my opinion, would be playing a different system and would be more free-flowing. We you know, and and what's going to happen now? We've conceded eight goals in two games. Granted, Wolves, you know, very good side, but we've gone from saying, "Oh, we're hard to beat, hard to score against," to to, to conceding three goals, then five. And what happens against Wigan if we go one nil down and we don't know how to react? So, I'm not sure. I think we're going to draw on some positives. I think from the Lincoln game, um, or positive a negative into a positive. Um, I think once where we're losing we're losing matches or losing chances is through the midfield. I think the defence is okay. And I think if we had a better midfield, the, the, the strikers score goals because I don't think they're feeding off anything at the moment. I think with Jordan Rhodes is going to add, uh, you know, experience and quality. And I think if he gets given chances, he will score undoubtedly, um, even if he wasn't our first choice to sort of to bring in as that experienced bigger striker. But I want to talk about Norburn. I want to talk about the midfield a little bit more because I think, Kurt, I'll come to you. This midfield where Norburn is the central in front of the defenders. Um, and then he plays, well, he played Dougal, he's played Carey, he's played others there. Morgan seems to be 
his go-to in terms of that little spark in midfield. But because this system he's playing where Norburn protects the defence, causes Marvs to kind of only have him as an option and then there's nothing behind him because the central midfielders go wide, is still happening. So my point is the midfield isn't working. He needs to change the system or or we will just I don't under, I just don't answer I don't know what the question is now I think you play Morgan and whoever there but Norburn sits that he's going to put himself under pressure and he's going to feel the he's going to drop his intelligence for for the mistakes he's made and he was absolutely you know as we all know poor on poor on Saturday and he made a dreadful mistake for the second goal we need in my opinion I suppose the question is do we need to bring in a midfielder on loan or another permanent to, to, to change this system? Or do you think he can use his current personnel in like a 4-3-3 or 4-4-2? I'm going to go against you here. I, I genuinely don't think there is any issue with um, with our midfield. Uh, or I, I think that, that the issues with our midfield isn't necessarily with the midfield, right? So uh, someone was talking about Albie Morgan and what he brings to the team. But when, when you look at the way we're set up, yeah, we're very, we're so rigid. There's no movement. You know, I don't know where Carey was. I don't know where Beasley was. I don't know where Lavery was on, uh, not Carey on Saturday particularly, but I don't know where they were. There was no movement. CJ sits on the wing and he doesn't, CJ doesn't move. You watch the the the, the three five two that Wolves played last night. Sometimes the right wing back for Wolves was popping up in the left wing. Now that's a Premier League team and I get it. But the movement is what I'm talking about. You know, the attacking midfielder was coming deep and suddenly what are, what are you thinking as an opposition? You're thinking, Christ, who's going to be in my space now? Who's coming across now? Who's going to be running in behind now? Who's going to be coming up and picking up the ball? Part of the problem, I think, you know, I, I defended Albie Morgan because every time he got the ball, he gave it to CJ. I would love to see the stats for CJ, but I reckon he lost it a good 60, 70% of the time he touched the ball. And if Morgan went backwards, it was hoofed up the pitch. So I, I personally think that we need more intelligent players. Dembele, again, for me, that's the sort of player we should be looking at in that, we're able to, you know, see these players moving in, coming inside, cutting in. We don't, you know, we're not we're not seeing any of that from CJ. We're not seeing any intelligent movement. You know, we're not seeing it from Andy Lyons as well. Part of the problem, he's not in his right position. And that is what it stems for, for me, is that people aren't in their comfortable positions. You know, and I, I do think we should do a system change. I think we should try and go back to a bit of basics with a 4-4-2 just for the next few weeks to try and get a win. You know, one of the positives that you were talking about a second ago, Tom, just to go back to it, was was Jordan Rhodes. The ball went to Jordan Rhodes, it stuck. And that's what I loved. In the first sort of five minutes, the ball stuck. Intelligent flick on, playing people in, holding it up, making a pass, laying it off. We're not seeing that from Beasley. He looks a bit uncomfortable every time he gets the ball. I think, yeah. Jay, I think Jay said it last week. He just looks really awkward. Rhodes came on, bang, I'm up front, holding on. I'm, you know, saw a millimetre of the goal, bang, took a shot. Might have gone over the bar, but I want to see that for my strikers, you know. Um, so, uh, look, it, it needs a real, a real, th- you know, if we still see the same formation at the weekend, the very least that I want to see is people in their comfortable positions. You know, even if it means husband going left wing back, even if it means Lions at right wing back, I want people to be comfortable in their positions. And that I feel is also part of the problem and part of the issue with the system. Too rigid. Yeah, I was not really going to talk about Wolves. It was an absolute shock of a game where we made several changes. I think the highlights that came out of that was from what a lot of the fans and Kurt, you can maybe allude to, but 
Tom Thompson, despite a potential mistake for the first goal, was 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 decent and potentially deserves to start on Saturday. But the fact he played most of the game probably suggests he's not going to start. No, he was the only Dom Thompson, and a lot of people have got an issue with Dom Thompson, but he was the only player that looked like he belonged at any sort of level. You know, he looked championship class. You know, looked hungry, athletic, intercepted the ball. You know, he he's got a mistake in him, but. I don't, you know, at the minute we're struggling. So, um, you know, I don't know what's happened. Something's clearly happened behind closed doors. Critch making some weird comments about um, consistency. Well, you can't be consistent if you never played, can you? How do you be and, consistent? And how is how is Hamilton consistent? You know, he, he won two out of nine tackles on on Saturday. Uh, yeah. You know, and he's a wing back at the end of the day. He's, he's won twenty two percent of his duels, and he was dispossessed two or three times. So he's 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 a you know, I'm, this isn't me slating. Well, I've said this before um, live on the pod that he's been hung up to dry and we're not using him to his whatever his full potential is because we've seen it in the past. He can be excellent hitting teams on the counter, but consistently playing someone at wing back of his ability to defend is is going to lose us the game Saturday and, and moving forward. And you can't keep picking a player who's quite evidently out of confidence and not good in that position. Yeah, I can't talk about CJ Hamilton too much. Um, it sounds like I've got a serious vendetta. And it just it just goes back to play players in their natural positions. You know, and sometimes when you're starting to lose, look uncomfortable, how do you get players' confidence back? You play them in like sort of a a, a default system, whether that's 4-5-1 or 4-4-2 or 4-3-3. Or play, you know, get at teams. I, I've said this on Saturday. I would much rather lose 4-2 at home than draw 0-0. You know, because the next game we win 4-3. You know, that's three points then rather than one point out of two games. You know, we, we we need to have a real think about what we want to do as a club. And you're right, at the minute we've got no identity and it's pretty, pretty depressing viewing. Yeah, Mark, we'll move on to more positive things with five minutes to go. Um, Karamoko Dembele signed um, during the week, which... Um, is signalling towards a potential system change. And it was a question from Josh um, on X that is this signing alluding to the fact that Critch now sees it doesn't work and he, and he needs that winger because he's certainly not a wing-back Dembele. So if you signed him not to start, then it's, it's another questionable transfer. If you signed him to start, it's got to be a change of system potentially. Very exciting winger, happy to take on a man, creates chances and he can finish a lot better than than Hamilton can as well. So he's very small. Um, but, you know, we've had a few small players in the past, which has, has caused a lot of magic. So hopefully he's going to be a spark in this team and, and, and can excite fans on Saturday. I hope I'm wrong, but it, it smacks of sticking on the bench for six games as an impact player. Because I don't, I've just got a horrible feeling he's not going to change the system. And like you say, he can't play wing back. Um, but yeah, exactly. He's what we need to get us up the pitch and excite the fans, take people on, you know, it, hopefully close ball control. You know, the, the sort of wingers we keep saying that Blackpool fans have been brought up on, you know, whether it's, God, however, however old you are, someone like Martin Bullock or a Wes Houlihan or et cetera, et cetera. I'll, I'll, I'll take Martin Bullock now. <laughs> I, I would take Martin Bullock now over over several of our players, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I hope I'm wrong, but, but he just smacks of somebody who will bed in gently which may or may not be good management, but I, I want to see players like that playing because I want I want to get off my seat. I don't want to be nailed to it for 90 minutes, praying for the end. You know, I don't want that. I, I, as Kurt says, let's get some excitement. And hopefully he's not the only one. Hopefully, if we were doing this pod this time 
tomorrow we might have been talking about different, uh, you know, hopefully some more players. But um, he is potentially very exciting. But I, I fear he might give him 10 minutes at the end. Or if we're winning one nil, he won't come on at all. <laughs> so Kurt, hopefully. Kurt, despite a lot of fans not wanting this, I think tomorrow if we sign... I'm going to say the name Charlie Kirk. I don't know if he's being linked to us or it's just rumours. He's someone that can take a set piece and someone that can keep whipping the ball into the box. And a lot of fans don't like it because he's not an exciting winger. I like it because he can get the ball into an area where we can score goals. Um, he needs to find his confidence and he probably won't play if we do sign immediately just because of fitness, etc. However, if that doesn't come with a big striker or someone that can make the ball stick like Jordan Rhodes to support him, then it's absolutely pointless signing these players. Yeah, I still think there's some legs in the Owen Moxon thing as well um, at Carlisle. I think um, he's still not signing a contract, so that's interesting. Um, apparently, he's got uh, there's an article out tonight by, from Carlisle News or something that he's got some really unreasonable demands. Um, so that could be interesting. Um, you're right. I, I think it, the stubbornness to keep the system makes signing these wingers, you know, Charlie Kirk and and uh, this lad from from Brest pointless I mean he's clearly been recruited from someone going on football manager and searching wonder kids from 2019 or something um so yeah the, the system's a problem you know we've, we've said that numerous times um I think so, we just need to see what tomorrow brings yeah uh, is it going to be a busy day we always want it to be on transfer deadline day don't we but Mark I've looked at your I looked at your um your I'm gonna, the X you put out the other day, the post. Um, obviously, got Pennington, Marvs, Casey, Farm, husband, Lions, Gabriel. I think Farm goes out of out of those potentially tomorrow on loan, or, or you know, I doubt it would be permanent. And then we've got the midfield. Um, Tribal's already gone, as we know tonight. Won't talk too much about him. Didn't want to play for us. Sayonara. See you later. Um, Virtue potentially is one to go, and I don't think we lose. Carey, I don't, and we maybe potentially lose Dale. The only other player potentially out of all of the squad currently that we lose is Beasley. If we bring someone else in, maybe on a loan spell to give him some confidence. Um, Apter, with his reluctantness to play, a positive at Wolves along with Thompson. Um, why he doesn't play him or why he doesn't change system to play him, I don't know, but I pray he doesn't leave tomorrow and, and I pray he gets given his chance off the bench. But we're probably going to lose probably Farm. Virtue and we've lost tribals, two or three players there, um, and hopefully we bring two or three in. If we were only to sign two players tomorrow, Mark, who would they be, or what positions would they be? Sorry. Um. Well, the obvious thing is a striker. Clearly, that that is that is non-negotiable. I mean, it, it really is non-negotiable. I know it's very easy for us as fans to sit here and demand that, but if we don't sign a striker tomorrow, we have failed miserably. And I will say that publicly now, and I think we all agree on on the pod. Even Charlie's nodding his head and he's not even a Blackpool fan. He knows it. He knows we need a striker. Every person knows we need a striker. But a winger, but but also um, the midfield debate. I'd like to think that Kurt's right, that that the midfield isn't really the problem. But I think if you had another tough, maybe ball-winning midfielder in there, who allowed the other players to get further up the pitch, it might help. But I think if I I, I was limited to two, it's got to be another, 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 you know, fast winger, and it's got to be a, a striker who can score goals. We say we've got Jordan Rhodes. You know, he's got 200 career goals to his name. It's a long time since we had somebody like that in our ranks, I think. Um, but but we need, we desperately need a striker. And if we don't pull a striker off uh, tomorrow, it's been, it's been not a disastrous window because we've recruited some good players, but it's a disastrous end to the window 
uh, if we don't strengthen those areas so that they'd be my two winger and a striker and, and, and two or three to go out. Yeah, Charlie's just put Andy Carroll is available. I'll tell you what, if we saw Kirk and Kirk and Carroll whip the ball in, get a header in, it's going to be better than what we do at the moment. So um I don't I, I don't disagree there's not legs in Mox and Kurt, but I don't see us pushing that over the line. I think you know our negotiation skills are a Fredo and, and a ride on the Pepsi Max. So we, we very rarely get those big players in over the line. And if we were to produce an Owen Moxon tomorrow, I'd probably fall off my chair because I just don't see us pushing that over the line. Potentially, you know, in January if we go back for it. But I think if we mess about too much, then, you know, it, it's, it's on us at the end of the day. We know the price tag. If they pushed it up, potentially we should have paid it or, or met them in the middle. But our lethargicness when it comes to transfers has left us signing Jordan Rhodes, which... I believe is third or fourth on the list as Blackpool strikers wanted. My opinion is, um, and this is where the criticism falls on Sadler a little bit. Um, this is going to be a little bit of a longer pod today. Just want to talk a little bit about Critch and Sadler. We've done enough talking about Critch. I think if we had a Sean Maloney in charge, I think even a Stephen Dobby, I, I see in it more an a more effective Blackpool on the pitch. However, we know what Critch can do. We know what he can produce and we know when he's got the right team he you know we've seen some magical moments with him and lo and behold he got us promoted of course so I think we've got enough criticism of of, of Critchley but Kurt, I'll come to you first does the blame lie with Sadler and it's now the second or third window where or should I say second window properly win the championship where we know what we've needed we know there's transfer targets available um, we know the quality that Critch wants and to produce the level that he thinks at and we have come away with signing Norburn and Pennington. Granted, decent signings. Norburn was always wanted by him, so probably a bit easier because there was an agreement in place before to sign him. Two hundred and fifty, three hundred thousand pounds. We take him. He's a great, great player. Pennington, brilliant centre back on a free, known to Critch from youth days. Again, a fairly easy transfer. When you've sold Bowler, you've got Critch compensation money, and you've sold Jerry Yates. Yeah, I know we've signed Cole Joseph and he's injured. He's very unlucky. When you've got someone like Johnson Clark-Harris available, I know, and Moxon, and they're your two targets. If you just say, here's two, 2.5 million, here's two of the best players you could potentially buy at this level and is going to elevate your side to the point of greatness, playoffs potentially guaranteed with those that had a quality in those 25, 30 goals, it's going to replace Yates's goal-scoring record. Does does the blame low of Sadler, or do you think we can continue to b- borrow, beg, and steal players and hopefully produce results? Because I've said this before, League One is a league where a Leighton Orient, a Port Vale, a Stevenage, a Cambridge, um, who sits up or, or just come off top um, after this weekend, if they're organised and have got half decent players at this level, and you're not ready, you won't win games because it's become such a consistent league now that you need to be the best of the best um, a la Plymouth, Sheffield Wednesday and Ipswich last season. And the rest of it was, you know, a free-for-all who was going to get playoffs. So where does the blame lie? Does it blame with the manager or does it blame with Sadler's consistently and not being ambitious, in my opinion, in the market? I think one of the things to, to consider is that are we not trying to do um, stadium renovations plus training ground all at the same time as well. So um, I know what you said with the Critch comp and Bowler's money, but I'd imagine that probably wants to extend to paying some of that back as well. Um, look, I think at, at the minute we're very much in a 50-50 state where 
Neil's got players to to work with, um, but he's making an absolute hash of it, um, trying to you know coach the death out of them. Um, so I think you know there's definite improvements. I think we're just split in the middle because of you. you we've, we're paying decent money for 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 players. You know we we are getting players ahead of other clubs, you know, Norburn, Pennington, they weren't just wanted by, you know, by Blackpool, they're wanted by other teams, you know, in, in the past, Blackpool had to look at what was available on the, you know, on the 31st or the 1st of September and go, right, what, what can we do? You know, I remember the Klaus Jorgensen's of this world signing on deadline day and stuff like that. So Nothing wrong, Klaus, mate. Oh no, he's brilliant, wasn't he? But that's kind of what, <laughs> what, that's kind of our identity, wasn't it? In that we had really unfashionable yeah. players, you know, that, Nobody else wanted, and that gave you know they were players. Then they were hungry with a drive to succeed. You know, at the minute we, we we don't really feel like we've got an identity because when Sadler joined, he said, "I want us to to improve the youth and start to see players develop through the youth academy into the first team." We've got players that have shown promise in um, Apta, Holmes. I think it's Lancashire. He's just gone out alone. What? Why aren't you? You know, we're struggling at left wing back. We're playing a, a right-footed centre mid slash centre back at left wing back. Why isn't he in there? You know, well, how do we know these players are ever going to be good enough if they're not given a chance? You know, I watched Rob Apta on uh, on was it Tuesday or Wednesday? Tuesday. Tuesday, and the first thing he did that we've been crying out for is he received the ball in between the lines, turned and ran at the defence within 30 seconds of being on the pitch. You know, it makes me think, You know, how, how are we supposed to... He needs to be given games. You know, our players need to be given games. But in answer to your question, I think I think we've seen we're, we're willing to spend money, but when we're looking at players like Brannigan, like Moxon, oh, we're not willing to spend that money. And that seems pretty clear. And then we get to a point where we focus so much on your Moxons, your Brannigans in windows. We've got to the end of it and gone, ah, what do we do now that we don't want to spend 1 million or 1.5 million? We only want to spend 600K, 750K. We haven't actually thought of a plan B or where else we would go. So um, I think... Look, we let's see what tomorrow brings. Um, you know, it's been a bit of a, a naff week. It can't... Touch wood. Can't get much worse than this week, for, in my opinion. Um, and let's see what, what tomorrow brings. I think three or four outs, three or four ins would be quite a good good day for us. Yeah, Martin, do you have any second opinions on on the board and potentially the, the downfall when it comes to signing those big-name players? Because they're the players that makes the difference, aren't they? Clark Harris is an example. Um, Peter Bruce Chairman has made it abundantly clear that he is available. You pay the money. Why don't we put it on the table? Here's 1.2 million, here's 1.1 million, here's a million. Will you take it? And if they say no, we walk away, fair enough. But we don't ever really test the waters, do we? And I think Kurt's really alluded to it. We said to Carlisle, we'll give you, let's say, 500k for Mox, and they've gone, we want 750. And we've gone, nah, don't want you that much. Or no, we're not willing to spend it. And in reality, those sort of players can win you promotion and, and bring in the income and bring in the fans and bring in the shirt sales, etc. So we've got a way up the positives with the negatives and I absolutely understand there's a training guide I absolutely understand there's a um you know a stand renovation but if we don't if we keep having the seasons we're having well not keep having but if we continue in the same vein of form that we are in you're not going to bring in the fans to fill the stands and you're not going to bring in the players that are going to be impressed by these training facilities and if we're not playing the youth like Kurt said how are you going to make a profit on the likes of Apta and Lancashire and I don't think Holmes is good enough but just to not even give them a run out when we're 3-0 down as an example you're not going to profit from doing any of that anyway so where does where does that land lie I, I, 
I'm starting to see a consistent pattern with transfer windows now where the manager wants to play and we're not willing to spend the money and therefore we're not going to have the season that we want. It's it's so hard to strike that balance, even as a fan, to try and weigh all that up. And you made some, you know, you raised some really good points there, and it's difficult. I I believe that that just re- I know it's I don't want to labour it too much. The, the stand I believe has got to be built by a certain time because I think he's committed to it at Blackpool Council. I think they've already yeah. started the work there on the Revo uh, um, uh, development area for the community trust. Now I believe that the stand is is obviously an integral part of that, and it's got to be done. I think the training ground is the one that he could put on the ice for a couple of years because he's got the interior, he's got the planning permission, he's got the land sorted out. Um, it's a hell of a lot of money. That's the steel, the price of steel, the stand is going to cost a fortune. But, and it's a big but, I still believe that without trying to spend someone else's money, because it's very easy for us to do, I still believe that, do, do you know what? Even though I know I'd rather be signed a Moxon than a Clark Harris. And the reason is because, Clark Harris is 29.30. We'll probably command seven, eight, nine, ten. I don't know what he wants, grand a week. Virtually no sell-on value, although he possibly could get us promoted, whereas Moxon fits into the model of getting a young, up-and-coming player at a decent price, developing him and selling him for three or four million quid in well, two or three years' well, time. So we absolutely do sell him for three million or through Blackpool, probably the same price yeah. we bought him for. But <laughs> we, um, we do, we do. I, I think, I, I, do, I agree with you. I think... I don't think it takes a million pound signing in this league. I think it takes a couple of, of four or five hundred thousand pound signings with, with a, with with a potential, as I say, sell on eventually. But I'm not bothered about the sell on straight away. I'm bothered about success. You know that those players will bring us. But um, I don't think it would break the bank to get where we need to be. And I think we absolutely need to be in for those sort of players to to kind of show what we're about. Not not piddling about in the transfer market, picking up the dross. Because our previous owners did that. The problem is our previous owners did that and got success. Not there's any, there's no praise in that. But we used to beg, steal, and borrow players, and have God knows how many promotions under our belt. And it would be ironic that you get a decent owner who doesn't splash the cash or, or doesn't get get lucky with transfers, and we end up going nowhere. So, hey, I think I think with Critch's first first tenure, we signed some excellent players, didn't we? And we have seen that we've done well with recruitment as an overall, but as Kurt's alluded to, when it comes to that one or two marquee signing where we feel, I'm not spending anyone's money, like I said, but when you make quite a lot of money and you're happy to, or happy to pump somewhat of your own money in, there should be a little bit of ambition there rather than signing the odd two, 300 K player. If you want to breed success and you want to work in a system, which Critch wants to play. But I think, just to summarise um, the changes that we want to see on Saturday, then cut. Obviously, we've got to, got to make sure. Sorry, we've got to, got to analyse where where we're at by the end of the window tomorrow. But is there anything particularly right now, here and then, that you you would do, or what formation would you play to enable us to be a better Blackpool side? Uh, I'd yeah. I mean, what I would do and what Neil would do are complete polar opposites. What would you do? That's what I asked. I would completely change up, go to a 4-2-3-1, you know, get Jensen Weir sat behind Rhodes, let him get in and about, get busy, no defensive duties, you know, have um, probably Dougal and Norburn sitting or Dougal and Morgan sitting. Uh, sorry, Norburn and Morgan sitting. Norburn plus one, basically. Um, and then have wingers, you know, Probably CJ because there's not much else, and Dale or um, yeah, Dale and CJ. 
yeah, I'd play Apta, but it's, it's difficult because I'm thinking about what I would do. But yeah, probably Apta. But let, let's get a bit of creativity in there and get at teams. You know, we can, uh, you know, obviously got a good squad, look quite attacking. Um, you know, they've just come down as well. They've got a bit of a bee in their bonnet about the points deduction. So they're going to be really up for it. They're obviously going to bring bring a decent um, away following as well. So, you know, we have to be on it on Saturday. Otherwise, it's another 4 5 nil. You know, if we're not on it and we play like we did at Lincoln, it could be worse. So for me, I'd change it to, to two at the back, uh, four at the back. So I'd go uh, Lions, Pennington, um, and then I'd go Casey and Husband because I just want Husband in there, but he can still get forward. Uh, He's been excellent this season. Yeah, he has. He, you know, he has been fantastic. But so is Casey as well. You know, for me, Absolutely. you can't drop Casey. Um, but we're talking about people that are comfortable on the ball. Pennington's comfortable on the ball. Casey's comfortable on the ball. Jimmy's look comfortable on the ball. And Lions will be comfortable on the ball in a position that he's used to, right? Um, so that's that's how I would shape up and, and try and get at teams a little bit. Because, you know, if you don't attack, then you're never going to score, are you? And that's what it feels like at the minute. We're just not attacking or trying to. Yeah, I'd play a three midfield, four at the back, um, with with three, four three three basically, and I'd play like Weir Morgan and and Norburn, and have that 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 diamond in midfield or the three in midfield with with Weir at the at the front of it with Morgan run, doing the run and Norburn controlling the game, and I would play up to right wing and I'd play Hamilton left wing with Rhodes with Rhodes because I think we create chances and and we, and we become fearless then and that is exactly what I would do and not what Critch would do. But if he's not gonna have a identity by playing with the way he's playing as we say with the signings tomorrow hopefully he knows what he's going to do to change that as he did in his first tenure where he went to a 4-4-2 um, Charlie's just asked is Norbert suspended but I'm pretty sure he's back for Saturday after two yellows wasn't it yeah so yeah two two um, two silly goals um, conceded by Blackpool on on Saturday which Norburn was one of them where he just brought down the player when he was about to score. So earned him a second yellow, which which meant he was banned against Wolves, which worked out better for us, to be fair. So um, I'm going to call that pod. Um, I think we talked over some really good points and um, Monday's um, podcast with with Jack Gorn is going to be analysing the window and and the business we do um, tomorrow just to, just to finish it off and, and the Wigan review. So join us for that one. That'll be out Monday night, Tuesday morning. Um, but hopefully, Martin, it was good to talk about the um, the last week or so, and hopefully that's made you feel a little bit better going into Saturday. Do you know, I was going to spend 40 quid to sit on someone's couch tomorrow and tell them my Blackpool problems. I don't need to do it now. I've done it with you guys, so I'm, that saved me 40 quid and uh, has restored my sanity. <laughs> Till tomorrow, to the window shuts. And hopefully some positivity um, out of the market Let's tomorrow. I think we'll get rid of some dead wood, um, but... Fingers crossed, uh, Kurt, that we bring in a big name player, as you said, but hopefully you feel a little bit better after the last week. I'm going to pretend that I'm not bothered, but I'm going to be refreshing Twitter every 30 seconds, notifications on, um, and then it'll get to midnight and we sign Charlie Kirk and then I'll be back to to depressive state. Um, Yeah, I'll go to Ikea or something on Saturday instead of coming up to Blackpool, so... Okay, well, I'll call that pod. As I've already alluded to, um, thank you again, Charlie, for giving us an insight to Wigan um, and join us, or should I say, listen back to Monday's pod with Jack Gorn. Um, absolutely fantastic guest we've managed to get on, and it'd be great to review sort of the incomings and outgoings and, and hopefully 
a better performance against Wigan and three points to kickstart the season. But from all of us at the It's an Orange podcast, good evening. Oh, <laughs>